0: we're seeing here of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is the focus of our text as we look to God's Word this morning. And I'm inviting you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. As you turn there, I'll just remind you that Paul begun this letter with a strong warning that the churches in Galatia were being pulled from the gospel by a false teaching from a, a group of Jewish Uh, Teachers who also claimed faith in Christ. And yet these teachers, called the circumcision party, argued that faith in Christ was necessary but not sufficient for salvation because in addition to trusting Christ, you needed to be circumcised and to obey the laws of Moses. And these Jewish teachers had appealed to the real apostles, if you will, Uh, arguing that Paul had come along later and had learned the gospel second or third hand instead of getting it straight from Jesus like the original apostles had. And so Paul's here to respond to these Jewish teachers, and he does so by embarking on a bit of an autobiography, uh, tracing the events of his life to make two points— The first we saw last week is Dr. Kiefer took us through the end of chapter 1 of Galatians, and he noted that Paul argued that he had received the gospel by a revelation directly from Jesus Christ. He had not spent extended time in Jerusalem, or he had not learned it second or third hand through other apostles or disciples. No, he had received the gospel from Jesus himself and began to proclaim it. That's what we saw last week. Now this week in chapter 2, Paul's going to make a second point. And here he says that when he finally did get together with the apostles in Jerusalem 14 years later, the real apostles actually agreed with Paul and not with the false teachers. They did not believe that Gentiles needed to be circumcised, but believed they were cleansed through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's the point of the section we're going to read today. But I invite you to look with me at God's Word, Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain." And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Father, I do pray that you would be with us. Would your Spirit take your words and the words that I speak and apply them to our hearts, that we might know Christ? And hold fast to Christ, and we pray this in His name, Amen. It is at times the case, at uh, particularly the beginning uh, of an organization or an institution, that a, a meeting or a decision might take place which really sets the course for that organization for the rest of its history. I was thinking this week about our country. You remember in its early days when the the 13 states were uh, in conflict with one another and the country was on the brink of financial ruin under the Articles of Confederation. And uh, so they called the Constitutional Convention of 1987. And that group made a, a monumental decision to abandon its stated purpose, to scrap the Articles of Confederation altogether, and to try to come up with something new. And in doing so, they produced the Constitution, an experiment which has shaped our country and set a standard in many ways around the world for the last 350 years. Well, maybe in a similar way, the church in its infancy faced a question which would determine in many ways its future the question of what to do with Gentiles who came to faith in Jesus Christ and the question of whether they would need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses or essentially whether they needed to become converts to Judaism in order to be a follower of Christ. And this decision could have undermined the gospel and split the church in two had it not been, of course, for the providence of God and the preserving grace of Jesus Christ as the apostles upheld the gospel and were unified together around its truth. Now, as you may know if you've read the book of Acts, this issue of whether Gentiles needed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses was definitively decided at the famous Jerusalem Council, which is summarized in Acts chapter 15. And I'll tell you that there is a great debate over whether the meeting being described in Galatians 2 here is that Jerusalem council, or whether it was Paul's previous trip to Jerusalem, summarized in Acts chapter 11? On the one hand, all of the key people involved in the main issue discussed in Galatians 2 match. Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council. And there is a, a little bit of a, a question to know why the council um, would be necessary, though, if the apostles had already decided the matter a few years earlier. So people go back and forth. Another other sense is, uh, Paul notes here, that he went up because of a revelation and met privately with the apostles. Well, that seems to match the description of Acts 11 and not Acts 15. And so there's a a bit of a back and forth here, and I don't know that I can uh, decide it for you. I probably lean slightly toward this describing the trip in Acts chapter 11. But at the end of the day, which visit this describes is not entirely clear and not overly important for the matter at hand. The issue at stake in this meeting, on the other hand, is entirely clear and is of utmost importance, and that is going to be the focus of our time this morning. And I think the main point of this passage is that Paul with the Gentiles in Galatia and the apostles with the church in Jerusalem fully agreed on and were united by the same gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul with the Galatian Gentiles, the apostles with the believers in Jerusalem were fully united around the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the key point here. And my goal this morning is to consider this unity around the gospel and the implications for us as God's people around this unity in the gospel. So let's start by reviewing the gospel that Paul and the apostles agreed on. As we jump into the passage, verses 1 and 2, it would be easy for us two continents and 2,000 years later to miss how significant this discussion was and how difficult this discussion was. Remember that when Paul and the apostles had their meeting, it had been about 1,500 years since the law of Moses had been given. And for the entirety of that 1,500 years, what united all of those who trusted in God, whether they be Jew or a convert to Judaism, What marked the community of God's people was circumcision and the unique community and distinct culture that developed around the laws of Moses. And what is more, God had said that anyone who is not circumcised and who does not keep the law of Moses will be cut off from my presence. And so when Paul came proclaiming that Gentiles who repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ did not need to be circumcised or keep the Jewish law, it seemed to undermine the entire history of God's people and the very thing which united them to each other and set them apart from the world. It says no wonder that this was a significant question. And it is true. Paul and the apostles were saying that there is a new unifying truth among those who would put their faith in God and that would divide them from the world. It's not circumcision or what we eat or how we wash anymore, but it is faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, the apostles proclaimed this because God himself had told them that the standard had changed. You remember in Acts chapter 10 when he said to Peter, Peter, you can eat all this now. The laws no longer hold to you. It is faith in Jesus Christ but we realize what a big deal this change would have been. And so Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem and met privately with the apostles, and they took Titus with them. Now, Titus is sort of a test case here. Titus is a Gentile Greek who had not been circumcised. And you know how it's always easier to discuss something hypothetically than it is to have something right there in front of you that you have to decide on. It's kind of kind of like the difference between premarital counseling and actual marriage. You know, in premarital counseling, you can discuss all sort of things hypothetically, and given how much you love each other, you're sure it's all going to be fine. And it seems like you agree. And then, of course, marriage hits, and you realize we thought we were saying the same thing, but we weren't actually saying the same thing. Or what I thought I was okay with is actually really annoying, and the rubber hits the road uh, when we get to marriage. And so here is... Paul saying, We can have a a theoretical discussion here, but we're bringing Titus, a real live Greek Gentile convert to Christianity, with us, putting him right in the midst of us, and so what's going to happen with Titus? You see that Paul explained to the apostles, the very apostles that were considered a big deal or influential by the circumcision party, he explained to them the gospel that he proclaimed among the Gentiles. And he did this, he says, in order to make sure that he was not running or had not run in vain. What did he mean by that? Well, Paul was not worried that he might have had it wrong. Paul was not in doubt about the truth at all. What Paul was afraid of is that the unity and flourishing of the church would be shaken if the apostles compromised on the truth of the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he held this truth before him. And he notes that there were some false brothers who tried to require circumcision, but Paul didn't yield to their argument for a moment, and the other apostles from Jerusalem didn't go for it either. And the conclusion of this discussion was that the apostles in Jerusalem and Paul and Barnabas 100% agreed. You know, you'll hear at times people say, well, I read James and I read Paul, and it seems like they disagree with each other. It seems like they're not on the same page. or say, It seems like Paul wasn't exactly on the same page with Jesus. They read differently. But we know that's not true. Because here, James and Paul got together and they agreed on the gospel because they had each received it straight from the mouth of Jesus. They were unified around the truth of the gospel. And the result was Titus was not required to be circumcised. And the conclusion Paul indicates is Look, Paul did not have the gospel wrong as a latecomer to the party. All the apostles agreed with each other. We are cleansed from our sin, and we are reconciled to God, and we receive the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, not by keeping the laws of Moses. This is an incredible hope for us. You notice that Paul puts it in terms of freedom versus slavery. And the indication is that We, through Christ, are freed from the burden of keeping the ceremonial laws of cutting and washing and eating and sacrificing in an attempt to be clean before God's presence. And instead, our hearts can be truly cleansed and set free if we repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for us, shedding His blood on the cross that we might be washed clean who then rose again from the dead, that he might send the Holy Spirit to live in us, to make us new and to unite us to God in Christ. That's the good news that Paul preached. And it's the same good news that the apostles in Jerusalem preached. And thanks to their agreement in the truth of the gospel, it's the same good news we preach and we hear today that we might be saved and cleansed through Jesus Christ as well. This is the agreement on the truth of the gospel that Paul describes between him and the apostles. But having looked at that, I want us to now notice several implications for our unity around the truth in the gospel. Because the reality is, we read that this truth of the gospel unites us in many different ways. First, it it unites us across many differences among us as people. Just consider the group that was together here. You had Peter, James, and John. These were Jews from Jerusalem who were carpenters, James likely, fishermen, Peter and John. Then you had Paul, the Jewish Roman citizen from Tarsus who had the highest education as a legal expert in the law. Well, then you had Titus, the Gentile Greek, likely from Asia Minor. You've got all sorts of mishmash crossing of social distinctions here. White collar, blue collar, skills, education, different ethnicities, different cultures. And yet they are all unified with one another by their hope that salvation came from God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful picture this is for us. A reminder of the unity that we have with all believers around the world. A reminder that we have a deep unity with those from Africa or from Asia or from America, those with completely different preferences, backgrounds, cultures, languages, educations, abilities, when we are united through faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't think we can be reminded of this unity too much because we all still tend to default towards a a sort of tribalism that moves towards people who are most like us, And live a life most similar to ours. And yet, that instinct is not a gospel instinct, and it doesn't reflect the unity that we have in Christ. You see, church is not for those who are easy to get along with, church is not for those that are most like us or that we are most likely to be friends with, church is not for those who never do or say hurtful things or for those who won't be challenging to find unity because of our differences. No, church is a family for all of those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. And few things demonstrate the power and the glory of the gospel more than people who would never have been in relationship with one another on their own or for natural reasons, coming together, drawing near to one another, caring for one another, worshiping together, because of their unity in Jesus Christ by faith. And the question is are we willing to take the initiative and to risk discomfort and do things that are difficult, like the apostles did with the uncircumcised Titus there in Jerusalem, because the truth of the gospel unites us to very different people in the family of God? That's the first implication of our unity in the truth of the gospel. Second, is that the gospel unites us across different ministry callings. You notice what Paul says in verses 7 through 9. The apostles saw that the only distinction between Peter and Paul is that Peter was entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, while Paul was entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. And while this might seem like a difference, a huge difference to many in that day, Paul considered it part of their unity in Christ. In verse 7, he says that they were both alike entrusted with the gospel, though in different contexts. In verse 8, he says it was the same God who was at work in each of their ministries. He who worked through Peter for his ministry to the Jews was also the same God at work through Paul and the Gentiles. And in verse 9, he says that the apostles extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas because they recognized that the grace given to them was the same grace given to the apostles in Jerusalem. And so, on the one hand, you have great differences. Peter kept kosher laws with the Jewish believers in Israel, though they were free to do so, as long as they didn't rely on it for their acceptance to God. Paul did not, as he fellowshiped with the Gentiles. One group was staying home in Judea. The other was crisscrossing the Roman world. But behind it all and under it all was a profound unity and mission. The same God was at work through the same grace and trusting them with the same gospel who had accomplished one salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord and so led to one shared mission to proclaim that gospel wherever the Lord called them. And as I consider the church today, you know, there's all sorts of differences that to the world might make us look very different. A church in the city, a church in rural areas, a church in Russia, a church in Africa, a hidden house church, a, a large church. And yet, if we are all holding to the same truth of the gospel of grace, we're united in the same mission to proclaim that gospel wherever God calls us and equips us. And even among us, some of you might be called to take the gospel around the world as missionaries. Others of you might be called to ministry here in the united states others of you might be called to be god's witnesses in your workplaces and in your neighborhoods and your schools but across these different callings one god is at work through one gospel in our shared mission to proclaim jesus christ and the good news of salvation in him so there's a unity around the truth across differences there's a unity in mission despite different contexts third look at verse 10 where we find that the gospel unites us in a common responsibility to care for the poor. Now this is a fascinating verse and I wonder, you've got this great theological discussion that's just taken place and as they're leaving, the apostles are going to say as we go out from here, there's just one thing we really want to make sure we agree on. What would you have filled in the blank? What do you think that one thing might have been? Only They asked us to remember the poor. And that wasn't surprising to Paul because he said that was the very thing I was eager to do. It's worth noting that if this is describing the meeting in Acts chapter 11, Paul was in Jerusalem to bring financial aid to the church in Judea during a famine time from the Gentile churches. It might fit well with that comment. But this probably wasn't the expected end to the conversation. We follow the logic here. It's doctrine. It's theology. It's evangelism. It's care for the poor. And yet that is often the logic of God's Word. Acts chapter 20, Paul meets with the Ephesian elders and says he proclaimed the whole counsel of God to them. He talked about warning them to watch out for false teachers, commending them to God and the word of his grace in which we will be built up and sanctified, and reminding them that we must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Maybe you think about the marks of the church noted in both Acts 2 and Acts 4. Both mention that the church gathered around the doctrine of the apostles, fellowship, prayer, and selling their possessions to give to those who are in need. You see this this logic, this putting together of doctrine, of fellowship, of prayer, and of caring for the poor. Now, I think it's worth making a distinction here. On the one hand, a godly compassion and generosity ought to incline us toward anyone who is needy. But I think the unifying obligation, the specific responsibility that the apostles are talking about here is to remember the poor and the family of God. They're talking about the unity they share around faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's repeated logic through his letters is that financial help for fellow believers is both a sign of and a fruit of our unity in Christ. And so I think that's the primary focus here, though again, a godly compassion and generosity should move us and incline us toward those around us in need. Fellow members of the body of Jesus Christ should care for one another because they are part of the same body. Just like your fingers will put a band-aid on your scraped knee, different parts, but one body because you're caring for your body. So those who have ought to share with those in need because you are members of one another in the same body. That's the logic of care in the body of Christ. And I realize today that there are all sorts of factors in this question factors of uh, government involvement and American materialism that sometimes uh, cause us to ask questions. But here is a key reminder for us as the church to remember the poor, the one thing which Paul was eager to do. I think of how Paul says in Ephesians four twenty-eight that one of the reasons we are supposed to work as Christians is so that we have something to share with those who are in need. It's one of the purposes of her work for a Christian, according to Paul. And so whether it be sending relief to believers overseas, whether it be sponsoring and aiding believers who come here as refugees, whether it be helping fellow believers in the body of Christ at any stage of life and need, generous help to give to one another should be a unifying instinct of every believer as it was for Paul and for the apostles here in Galatians 2. Finally, one more implication about the truth of the gospel. And this runs in the opposite direction. Because if the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ is the truth, the one gospel of salvation, then our shared commitment to that gospel will also imply a division, a firm rejection of that which is not true, a firm rejection of that which denies the gospel of grace. You see how strongly Paul puts it in verses 4 and 5, that those who would enforce keeping the law, he calls false brothers. He says he did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. As I was reading these verses, I was thinking of that great work by our Presbyterian forefather, J. Gresham Machen, in Christianity and Liberalism is he faced many churches who were departing from the gospel and and making Christianity or reducing it to social work and he said he said, Christianity is battling against a totally diverse non redemptive religion that 's made all the more destructive because it made use of traditional Christian language and this just sounds a lot like what Paul was facing: teachers who used jesus name. But presented an unredemptive religion because it substituted keeping the laws of Moses in the place of Jesus' cleansing blood. Sounds a lot like things we face today as well. Because it is not using the name of Jesus that matters, but believing the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that matters. It is following Him in faith in the gospel of grace. That matters. of our union with Christ by faith is the only means by which we obtain salvation. And anything that denies that or undermines it becomes unredemptive. And such truth becomes a dividing line between us and those who would deny the gospel of faith in Christ alone by his grace for salvation. I think it is so striking in this passage how Paul can be so flexible so accommodating to various cultural backgrounds and to the consciences of weak believers, and yet so firm and unwavering when it comes to reliance on Christ alone for our salvation. And what I'd like to suggest to us is that we are often tempted to miss the boat in both directions, that we are often tempted to elevate preferences and secondary differences too highly in our thinking in our hearts fighting to preserve the ministries we, we run or the way we do things or the musical styles we like and we can, we can stress these things too strongly not considering the unity of the body across different cultures preferences but on the other hand we, we can also especially in our culture today find it hard to draw firm clear lines and yet we must do so Not because I'm right and you're wrong, but because of who Christ is and what he has done. Because we should love one another and love the church enough to tell you if you are proclaiming something that is not the gospel. Because to lose the gospel is to lose truth and to lose the hope of salvation. See, it all comes back to Christ. The thing that unites us is our union together with Christ through faith in Him. And the thing that divides us is our commitment to Christ and the truth of the gospel. Paul and the apostles agreed together on the truth of this gospel. They agreed that Christ alone in His death and resurrection cleanses our hearts and reconciles us to God. They agreed that Titus and the other Gentiles should not be circumcised or required to keep the law in an effort to be acceptable to God. And in this agreement, they they found unity across differences, mission contexts, and towards one another, and against anything that would tempt one away from the all-sufficient work of Christ. And in God's providence, this unity around the truth of the gospel preserved the church and held his people fast, Jew and Gentile, to hope in Jesus Christ. And may we too be united and held fast to the truth and the hope of this gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this record of how you worked in your church and preserved your church and held your church fast to the truth of the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And how I pray that you would continue to unite us and hold us together as a family of God across differences or mission contexts and our responsibility to one another. And yet I pray that our commitment to the truth of the gospel would also hold us fast, that we would not waver one bit when it comes to the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ our Lord for our salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name.